Morning. It's good to be here. It's good that it's sunny. It's first Sunday in a while, isn't it? I mean, normally we get here and we're getting blown in the door or out of the door or something like that. But you know, it's good to be here and the sun's shining. Um, so we've been going through a series, uh, and I've remembered it this time. That's the Forgotten Arts. Um, and it's been quite a... It's a little bit more challenging this side of the, um, the, 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 the pulpit here, but it's been a really good time for us to get together to understand what it means for us to start to kind of draw up within ourselves to go again, to not sit back and slack off, but to enable ourselves to grab hold of the things that God has given us and to once again stir it up within ourselves to then be able to push on into the more of what God has. And so we've talked about some, some great little marks being brilliant and just giving some real practical um, examples and uh, pointers to help us in different areas of our lives, in, you know, in praying. Um, it's quite like Mark did this thing about the, the, um, the ABC or the alphabet prayer. And so um, Hannah and I would sit on their couch um, afterwards and we'd go, okay, we're going to go through the alphabet and you've got to thank Jesus for something beginning with each letter off the alphabet. And we'll go through that a couple of times. And some of them, you can only get to the end and you just keep thanking Jesus for zebras because <laughs> you've you, you got not much else to go on. But it was, really, it was really quite helpful to just make us think a little bit more what we are thankful for and just help grow us in those. So you know, just little points like that was great and helpful. Um, I missed out on the, the fasting one, so I didn't have any great pointers on that. But I heard that was a good feedback on that as well and just being able to, at times, quieten your life down that bit more. Take that little bit more of a step back and focus on God, giving up something that perhaps your body needs, not just desires, but is, is needing. And to say, God, once again, you are my ultimate need. It's that good. It helps us again to just think of these things. Um, and then we come to the one today, which is reverence. Mark was, I think, quite cheeky in the way he did this. So he led me into saying, oh, I think you should look into this, Ashley. And leads me in with this little story about his daughter and future son-in-law questioning in their vows they have the word um, reverence for one another or something to that effect. And they said, oh, we, we just want to replace that with respect because we don't really understand what that word means. So Mark's just telling me a story, and of course I'm, a, I'm good at listening. So I'm sitting there listening to Mark, and he goes, I think that'd be good for you to look into, Ashley. <laughs> and of course I just go, yeah, no, that sounds like a good idea, Mark. I'll do that. And then I look into it, and I'm like, I should have been more switched on when he was telling me that story. <laughs> because this is a little bit more full-on than I anticipated. I thought that perhaps we'll just do a word search, you know. I'll just tell you a little bit about what the word reverence means and we'll look at some nice scripture verses and we'll be encouraged and we'll walk away and we'll, it'll be good. Yeah. 
This is me just saying that I really don't know where I'm going this morning. I started in one place and I carried on and I don't know, I'm just going to give you some of my processes that I go through to get to different places. And one of them is I just start and that's the hardest thing for me to do is to start because I'm like, I don't know where to start. What am I starting with? Where do I have an end goal somewhere? So I just start and you start just reading and reflecting and listening to different uh, sermons perhaps and digging into different reference material and I do this for all of Friday and get to the end and I'm in the same place I was at the start of Friday. Not quite sure where I'm going so I go, okay, do you know what? And in my head I'm a little bit, something I'm learning is to, is to not try to be such a doer and um, and I thought, you know what, I just, didn't, I just didn't try hard enough on the Friday. If I put more effort in tomorrow, it'll click, it'll come. It'll be all right. So, so I, I put more time in on Saturday. Um, and I get to last night. And I was about... And during the day, like, I, my, my wife's sick at the moment, so... I've got the kids as well, and, and they're just recovering from some illness, and I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to make sure the house runs. Dinner gets done because my wife can't even get out of the house, which is fine. She needs to rest, as well as doing this sermon. And it's at 11 o'clock at night when the laundry finishes and I'm taking it out that it kind of falls on me, something in Scripture that I'd, I'd never seen before. And so I want to take you on that journey that it took me to get to that point. It won't take two days, but I want to take you to that place where it just revealed to me what the difference between fear and reverence. Because at times they seem like they're separated by something as thin as paper. That on one side, you can just be slightly one side and you're terrified, and slightly the other side, and you're in awe and amazement. So I want to just take you on a journey, and to do that, I don't really think I can uh, explain reverence other than showing you people in Scripture who have learned to revere God. So I'm going to try and do that. We'll see where we go. Um, but the whole, I'm going to hinge this whole thing, this whole talk is going to hinge around Hebrews 12. Okay, Hebrews 12, 18. I'm going to, and, and part of 13. Because Hebrews, I don't know if you've read Hebrews, but Hebrews can be quite a scary book to read. Now the book of Hebrews, they don't really know who exactly wrote it. Um, there's some people think that possibly the Apostle Paul did. Um, some say that maybe Apollos did. We don't know. It, it has a, a bit of a Paul flavor to it every now and then. But what we do know is that it is directed, as the name suggests, at the Hebrews, at the Israelites. And so there's so much in this book about sacrifice, about the coming Messiah, the Christ. And some of it can be a little bit scary. Um, especially when you start reading through chapter 10. 
Uh, don't read chapter 10 if you don't understand grace. I'll just let you know that now. Anything that we speak upon, if you do not understand the grace of God, you, you're, in, you're in trouble. You only see fear. I'm going to tell you that right now. If you don't understand the grace of God, all you ever see of God is a fearful, wrathful, terrifying God. And I'm hoping that we can go through that barrier today and get to that place of, of going beyond the terror and seeing the actual awesome grace of God. So I'm going to start reading um, Hebrews 12 from verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If any beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject, reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Reading anything out of context is terrifying a lot of the times, or you misinterpret the meaning of it and it can lead you down the wrong path. And if you read this right now, you can come away with a, an understanding that God is, is a bit of a terrifying being. And there is an element of truth to that, because if you were confronted with the almighty, all-powerful God, you would not stand in his presence, you would fall down and that's how it is there is something about god that is so overwhelming so awesome so amazing that is requires almost a physical submission in the presence of such an awesome god but if you stayed at that place and you only stayed there you'd miss out on god completely you'd miss god completely This story that is being explained by the writer of Hebrews here is referring back to Moses. And and Hebrews does this quite a bit, referring back to Moses. But this particular story is speaking of a pivotal moment in the history 
of the Israelites. They're speaking about the moments when the Mosaic Covenant was given to the people. It was a moment when God said, you are my people. And the response between the two, there's two different responses that happens at that moment. The response of Moses and the response of the people. Let's go back. Let's go back and read it because I think that'll help us. We go back to Exodus 19, 20, 19, 19. Let me just make sure that's the right one. Yeah. So we're going to go... I'm going to read... I'm going to read from 19. I'm going to just, just going to skip through a bit of this because I want to just give you a bit of... Actually, I won't read it. I'll just tell you a bit of the background and then I'll get to the point I want to get. You can tell I'm a little bit all over the place at the moment, but that's okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. If you fall asleep, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when the important bit's here and you can... Uh, Someone can nudge you and you can wake up and hear the good bit. Right, so the story is that they're in this, uh, the wilderness, have come out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, and they've just come to Mount um, Herob or uh, Mount Sinai, and they're there at the foot of the mountain. And God says to Moses, Moses, come up, come up to the mountain. And, and Moses, he just obeys, he just goes up to the mountain, and, and God says, Moses, go down to the people. <laughs> I love it. If you read it, it's quite funny. Come up, Moses. Moses, go down and tell the people that they can't come on the mountain. Tell them not to come on the mountain. And if they do, if anyone, any beast, any person, they'll be stoned or shot through with an arrow. It was an important thing that God was saying there. He says, don't grab them, don't touch them. He says, they've, they've become unholy. Just stone them or shoot them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I heard that from God, that would be a hard thing to hear. But Moses goes back down and says, don't come up on the mountain. Here's a boundary. No one. No one can come through. If you do, you will surely die. And then God says, Moses, come back up. Come back up. So Moses goes back up the mountain and God says, now tell the people to consecrate themselves for three days. Get themselves ready because I am going to come down on the mountain. And this is the amazing thing. And I am going to speak to the people. Later on in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5, where Moses is recounting this very story, he says that God spoke to you people. He spoke to you face to face. You see, this wasn't a message. It's the Ten Commandments that are going to be spoken out here was not a message that God gave to Moses on a bit of paper or stone tablets and says, now you go read it to him. God spoke it out and everyone heard it. And Deuteronomy clarifies it says, God spoke to you face to face. Spoke to you. You heard it. So these Ten Commandments come out. But I want to read the part here where God came down on the mountain. Because it, it links, this is where what it's speaking about in Hebrews here. It says, on the, third, on the morning of the third day, this is 19, Exodus nineteen sixteen, 
On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on the Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called to Moses to the top and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, "Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish." And Moses said to the Lord, "The people cannot come up to the mountain Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountains and consecrate it." And the Lord said to him, "Go down And come up, bring Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And then God spoke all these words. And then God speaks out the Ten Commandments. And he speaks them out. And in fact, in the the Hebrew, they, they don't call it the Ten Commandments. It's called the Ten Words. The ten spoken words that they heard from God speak out to the people at that moment. And after God had finished speaking the covenant, uh, the Ten Commandments out to him, this is what happened. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid. And trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Here is this moment where God speaks out, and it is a terrifying thing to hear the voice of God. In fact, Hebrews 10 speaks about that it's a a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A fearful thing to fall into the one who not only can just destroy your very physical being, but can cast your soul into hell itself. A fearful thing. And these people get the fearful thing of it. They get and they're trembling. And in fact, they have a fear of the Lord. But do you notice how Moses says, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Now, how can Moses get to this point? Because in Hebrews, it says that even Moses was trembling. See, Moses wasn't there going, do not fear, people. I've got this. He speaks to me. I know God won't do anything bad. He's good, he's good, it's all right. No, he says, in fact, when he goes up to God, God tells him again, just remind the people, don't come on the mountain. And Moses is already in the position of saying, I've told him already, you've already told him, God, why do we need to tell him again? They won't do that. They know you, they fear you, they understand that you're a God who when he says what he says, that is it. But God says, no, warn them again. 
warn them again, lest they break through. You see, Moses is in a very different place. Even though he's trembling and fearful, he doesn't go afar off. He doesn't go away from God. He draws closer. Now, there's an expansion of this whole story in Deuteronomy. And if you read it in Deuteronomy, you can always get this sense that actually God was actually willing for the whole people to come closer to him. I encourage you to go read Deuteronomy 5, 6, um, and 7. And you'll see that there is a, a sense that God was not saying it's only Moses that gets to come up. Because if we read on in Exodus, it wasn't only Moses. Joshua went up the mountain as well. But my, my question is here. Moses has this amazing reverence of God. Not fear, not afraid, not terrified. Trembling, yes. Reverence of God. Not irreverence. Not saying, doesn't matter. He won't do anything. Me and him, we're buddies. We're equals. Not irreverence. Reverence of God. I want to tell you something. Moses didn't always have that. Do you know, Moses did not always have a reverent fear of God. He did not revere God all the time. And I want to tell you the story of Moses. We're going to go back. We're going to go back to Exodus 3, where we have the story of the burning bush. Now, this story has been told over and over again. You could probably tell me exactly what happens in all that goes on here. But I want to read through it again anyway. Well, I won't read through it. It takes too long. We don't have enough time. But I will go through it again. I just want to pull out some of the key points in this story. And then we're going to follow on to see how Moses changes and at the point he changes and why does he change. And this point, I I hope we can get to it in a way that when you see the click over from this fearful, trembling, terrified to this boom, reverence, I just pray that that you get it. Because it changes so so rapidly, and it'll change your perspective of God in such a way that even at 11 o'clock at night doing the laundry, you'll worship. So we've got the burning bush, and Moses at this stage, he's killed someone. See, the story of Moses is is a, a person who's very irreverent. In fact, he's a guy who thinks that he is he is equal to God's. And in fact, he was brought up that way. He was brought up in the family of Pharaoh, and he would have been told that. You know, we are descendants from God's. Pharaoh is a God. And so he has this understanding almost in his mind, even though he's ran away, that when he killed someone, part of that is because he thought, I am God anyway. I can take life as I please. And he realizes suddenly Perhaps it's not quite as I all thought it to be. And he runs away, and he's in the desert. Perhaps for up to 40 years he's been herding sheep. And he comes to a mountain, Mount Sinai, or Herob, it's also known as. And he sees this bush burning. 
And do you know what his response to it is? It's not a, whoa, that's amazing. It's like, that's a bit curious. A bush burning. I'll go have a look. I mean, he goes up and has a look and, and God cries out to him and says, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. And God says, do not come near. Take off your shoes, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And then God proceeds to tell, Abra- uh, to tell Moses that he is a God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And when he hears a voice and he hears God say holy ground and he hears that it's a God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, it says here that Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. So here's the fear. Moses had the fear. And it's a similar thing. He's confronting a burning bush with the voice of God speaking out, which is very similar to what the people of Israel will occur on the mountain where there's a burning mountain and a voice speaks out and Moses reacts the same way that the people of Israel did. Falls on his face, afraid, terrified. Not in reverence. Not in reverence at all. Because as the story goes on, God says, I've heard my people are in slavery and afflicted. And he says, so I'm going to send you, Moses, and you're going you're to be part of my plan to rescue them. And what's Moses' response? Now Moses, he's, he's a very clever man, very extremely clever, because he doesn't start off with where he really wants to get to. He doesn't get to that for a few questions later. But he starts off by saying, um, if I come to the people of Israel and they say, and I say to them, the Lord of uh, your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So here's Moses going, look, I don't really know who you are, so how can I tell them that you have sent me to set these people free? Because I don't even know who you are, really. But this isn't really what Moses is trying to say to God. But God lets it go. He lets it go, and he says to Moses, this says this, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is the first time it says the Lord. Now, we, it's always translated as the Lord. In the uh, Hebrews would have translated that into, well, they it would come out as Yahweh, but they would leave all the vows out. But it was the name of God. That was the very first time that the very name of God was spoken. The Lord, Yahweh, has sent you. Significant moment in the history of all creation. Yahweh has sent you. And Moses' response? He just goes... God tells him these great promises. I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to take them into the land, flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be amazing. My mighty works will, will, will come forth. Pharaoh hardened his heart, but he'll send them out in power. And you go out as people rich. Because the people of Egypt will be just throwing stuff at you to get you out of this place. Take whatever you want. Get out. 
because the mighty hand of God's going to lead you out. And Moses' response, he says, Moses answered. So God's saying this big thing. In fact, God says, you shall plunder the Egyptians. And Moses' response after that is, "Um, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? So here's Moses. He's starting it a little bit closer. So the first time he's saying, I don't know you. Now he's saying, they don't know me. They won't believe me. And God says, well, what do you have? His staff, he throws a staff down, turns into a snake. He puts his hand in to his coat. It turns leprous. Clean again. So now Moses, that's been answered, okay. Signs and wonders, can't get away with that one. So Moses goes, um, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. So here he's going. Now, now it's not true that Moses, that was not true of Moses at all. He was brought up in, in royalty. He would have been very eloquently spoken. And in fact, if you read through the, the, the books of the Bible that Moses has written, he's very eloquent spoken. And see, he's not, he's not getting to the very crux of what he's trying to say to God yet. But God goes, okay, that's all right, Moses, we can go with that one. And God says to him, who makes the ma- uh, man's mouth? Who makes him blind or deaf? Uh, deaf? Is it not I, the Lord? Go, and I will be your mouthpiece, and I will teach you to what you should say. And Moses responds, now this is what Moses wanted to say right at the very start. This is what Moses wanted to say, but he didn't have the guts to say it at the start. And this is the most irreverent Moses ever was, recorded in Scripture. And he says this, O my Lord, please send someone else. Now, God is just telling him, my name is Yahweh. Never said that to anyone else, Yahweh. And he uses the word Adonai, Lord. My Lord, well, do you say to someone who has authority over you, my Lord, no thanks. Now, if, if you're under authority, when someone, when someone of authority tells you to do something, you do it. Now, if you're in a job position and someone above you tells you to do something that you should be doing, and you don't, then you can get fired. Because you should obey what you're being told, because that's part of your job. Here's Moses getting to what he really wants. God, I don't want to do it. And God's then, says then the anger of God was kindled against Moses. Now, I don't know what that would have looked like. But if Moses is writing, the anger of God was kindled against him. I'm pretty sure the terrifying part before was nothing to what he felt right now because his response after that is a lot less... And if you read on, his response is more and more, okay, God, but you need to help me more. And so he goes on and Aaron's going to be sent. Sorry, I've got to need to get going. Okay, and Mo- Moses is now with Aaron. Aaron gets sent. Aaron's going to be his mouthpiece. He's uh, going to be sent into Egypt now to bring him out of slavery. And as they go in there, they speak to Pharaoh. And they said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, I don't know your God. No, they're not going. And in fact, I'm going to make them work harder now. 
So now they're going to have to make the bricks and they don't get straw. Go collect it themselves. So Moses comes out of this meeting. Now he doesn't know this has all happened. He comes out and he sees the people of Israel and they say to him, why have you even bothered turning up? You're just making it harder for us. Now here's a guy who's already not sure why he should be here and the very reason he's come is being told and thrown in his face, you're making it worse. Now I don't know about you, but when you hear that, often when I hear that, that's a very demoralizing And it's something that actually hits you right in the the very inner being of your soul. And this is what Moses cries out to God. He cries out, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So Moses is still on the other side here at this moment. He's like, God, it's making it worse. You said you'd do something. It's not doing it. I knew it wouldn't do it. I knew it wouldn't happen. I didn't want this job. Now, this is the point I want to get to. This is the point here. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh with a strong hand. He will send them out. With a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. El Shaddai, God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. This is the moment that everything changed for Moses. Here he is being hearing, knowing that God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yet God only revealed himself to those as El Shaddai, God Almighty. And here God is saying, but I have revealed myself to you as Yahweh. And in this moment, from this very moment on, you read the scriptures from this moment on, there's a massive change in Moses. He's no longer questioning God about anything. God says, I've shown you me. You see, the only thing that saves us from the wrath and the terror and the fear of God is God. God is the only reason that we can actually come boldly towards him. In fact, it was quite amazing because on the WhatsApp group, Rick sent this picture out of the storm that was hitting the UK. And in the center of the storm, there's not enough wind to even sail a boat. And as he was saying this, this is a very image that I was getting in my head, that approaching God at times looks like you're coming to the outside of a storm, of a hurricane. And at the start, it doesn't seem too bad. But as you go closer in, it gets more and more terrifying, and the winds get stronger and stronger until you break through and you come into the eye of the storm. And where before the terror of even surviving and how you're going to live You come through that wall and you are in the eye of the storm and all of a sudden you see the majesty of the storm. I don't know if you've seen those pictures where they take a picture from inside the storm. You look, that is amazing. 
John Piper describes it as you're, you're, you're climbing up a mountain and you're, you're barely hanging on to this mountain and you see this storm rapidly approaching, this ferocious, furious storm's coming in and you've got moments and you find a, a, a cleft in the rock, a, a little cave, and you jump into the cave and you're safe now. And the full force of the wind and the full force of the storm crashes against that mountain, but you're safe. And you don't see that as a terrifying thing that may kill you, but all of a sudden the storm turns into a musical wonder of the power, of the wrath of God that just flows over and does not touch you. You see, there's terrifying moments in the Old Testament when people were irreverent. They didn't know God. They didn't care about getting to know God. And they did things and things that we would think that's, what's, that's, that's the smallest of things. Touched a box. Dead. Irreverence can only be overcome by understanding who God is. You know, I've ran out of time, but... The reason why we so often come into this church, I so often come in this church with irreverence. I do. I'm told to come here and worship God in spirit and in truth, and sometimes it's flesh and selfishness. Sometimes it's self-centeredness. Sometimes it's about, what am I going to get out of this? And I'm coming before a holy God. I'm coming from a God who could, if I knew him rightly, strike me down for the irreverent behavior I'm displaying before him. But he doesn't. And the reason he doesn't do this is because God saves us from the wrath of God. And we are now hidden in Christ. And see, this is a story of Hebrews. Is now the one who sacrificed once for all to... Hide us in himself so that when the storms come, we have a passage through that hurricane that comes through the very storm and we break through that wall because we're in Christ. We're safe in Christ. We come into the center of that storm and we see the majesty of God because we're hidden in Christ. Christ saves us from that wrath of God. And now, whenever the storms come, we don't see it as a terrifying thing. We see it as a thing that we bow down and worship and think, what amazing holy God. I don't have time to go into Job. My goodness, is this a man who knows what the reverence of God is? Read Job 1. My goodness, is this a guy who understands reverence? We're going to come to communion now, and I I want to read to you what Christ has done to hide us in himself. You know, I didn't even get to the point where I I tell you what is reverence and what what our response should be now that we're hidden in Christ. We don't have have time for that. I'm not falling for it again, Mark. (laughs) So, so let's go, no, look, we're going to do communion now, and I'm going to read you out what Jesus did. And as I'm reading this out, as you feel 
feel free to and led to. There's a communion table in the middle there, and there's one at the front here. And if you want to know what it is to call Jesus, not just Adonai, but Yahweh, and you don't know that yet, then I'd say stay and let people pray for you. Because there is a moment where, just like Moses, there can be that switch. There can be that switch where you go from irreverence to reverence. As I read this, feel free to take communion. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but he tasted it. He would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. Over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. If he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthian. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. 
And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were there with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. And said, truly, this was the Son of God. I just, just as we finish, just a reminder of these verses in Jude, um, where it talks about, I had, to, I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, Certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. And we love the grace of God. but We live in a world that is very, very irreverent. It's turned away from God. It's turned away from God. And the challenge for some of us is that we've come to a message of grace. We love the grace of God. We've been forgiven. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it glorious? Yes, it is. So we celebrate communion together. But we can take that grace and become irreverent. We can take that grace and use it as a license. God doesn't mind. He doesn't mind. He's my mate. Yes, he is our dear friend. He is our dear saviour. But we're not to abuse the grace of God. We're not to abuse. There's, we come with reverence and awe before our God. And I, I feel provoked, don't you, today? <laughs> I feel challenged. And I, I recognize um, this huge amount of material Ashley's got there in his head and heart. And we'll talk about how we get some more of that out in the, in the next weeks. But it, it, it's a provocation to us. We love the grace of God. We live in this glorious freedom of the children of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's not use that grace as license to sin. License for flippancy, irreverency. Let's be reverent. Let's glorify our God and our Saviour during the week. Amen.